We are continuing our service, and it is, again, April 5th, 2020, and we're going to continue with the thought of the week and prayer. Okay, and today's thought of the week starts with a one-word question, and that is fellowship. The Greek word konania is defined as partnership, that is literally participation or social intercourse, or pecuniary benefaction. To communicate, or communication, communion, contribution, I guess, and distribution, and fellowship from strong. Fellowship is a participation or communion of person. To pick another phrase, it is social intercourse between persons. To think that we are like God but very different from God at the same time is mind-boggling. What about God is, quote-unquote, like us, our person? This is the only ground for true fellowship with God. This is where the eternal God meets us in a very special way and opens his heart, revealing the depths of his being. To look into the faith of the humanity of Christ was to look into the face of God. Jesus said of himself in John 14, 7, if you really knew me, you would know my father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip didn't understand the words of Christ because he quickly responded, Lord, show us the father and that will be enough for us. In John 14, 8, he did not understand that he was standing in front of the Eternal Father, quote, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, unquote, from Ephesians 3.15. Certainly Philip couldn't have this fellowship if he was ignorant of the Father's presence as a person in Christ. And that is the thought of the week. And let me offer some simple commentary on what we have before us is that we have a clear explanation of what this fellowship is all about. This fellowship is between persons and we too are individual people. As individuals, we also have an individual will, which is part of what makes us unique persons. And we have the ability to make choices. We have volition, free will, and we can choose to accept what God has done for us on our behalf, what Christ has executed on our behalf. But we can reject it. We can say, no, I don't believe it. I can't believe it applies to me or many other things. And God will respect those decisions. But for the one who does believe, for him, the person will not perish but have eternal life. And eternal life is that special quality time that you have to be in fellowship with God and with other Christians. We're, on, we're from his family, whole family in heaven on earth, derives his name. And that's my commentary on the thought of the week. And I will turn it over to Dave for prayer. Uh, great to wife. At this time, we must certainly have uh, prayer. We don't have any special requests that's on their hearts. Uh, please pray for the church. Uh, 
believers everywhere, who, wherever they are found in the world. We're praying especially for them. Also, we're praying for uh, the suffering of the pandemic as well. Please raise, raise, raise uh, some prayers for those concerns as well. Can I take us to the throne of grace? And we'll keep out the guests. And the Father, we're coming to you all on this Sunday, Father, where hearts are heavy, Father. We ask you all to look for our families as we go through this very difficult time, Father, as this whole world is going through a phase, Father, of this epidemic, Father. We ask you all to provide um, the securities, provide the nourishment that we need, Father. We pray for those who are grieving as those who have lost their loved one, Father. We pray for those who have the century job, Father. We also pray for those who have to have not stopped for the work, and we ask you, Lord, to provide for protection, guidance, Father. Father, as we continue our service, Father, we ask you to let your word be the meditation of our hearts, Father, so we can grow in your grace, Father. And we know, Father, you work all things to the good for those who love you. Father, we ask you that as we continue our service, that protect our pastor as you gave us encouragement words through the worker, Father, so we can continue to grow in your in your grace, Father. And we know, Father, this world is not our home, Father. But while we're here, Father, we ask you to protect us, Father. We have faith in Christ's name, and for his name's sake. Amen. Amen. And thank Amen. you. Thank you, Dave and Dwight. <clears throat> We're going to move right into where we left off last week. Uh, hopefully you have notes in front of you. If you don't, uh, let us know. We make sure you are added to our distribution list that, uh, where we send the notes out every Sunday. But if you have notes, in your notes, we're focused on John 14, 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, but it neither sees him nor knows him because... Uh, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. So our focus is the Holy Spirit, even though his role describes that, quote, he will not speak on his own, unquote. Further, our Lord says he will speak only what he hears. And also, he says, he will glorify me. It is clear to me that the another term is for the spirit is the spirit of Christ in Romans 8 9 which agrees with everything we already covered from the book of John uh, we need to take some time to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives without the influence of the spirit in our lives where would we be quote and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption, unquote. That's Ephesians 4 and 30. So we covered, we started this quest uh, of uncovering some of the things that are written about the Holy Spirit. As we are looking at the context of where we are in John 14, Jesus is still speaking to his disciples. His feet are still on the earth, and he has not ascended yet. Pentecost has not happened. And Pentecost is that pivotal moment in Scripture where Jesus predicts or prophesies that this will happen, that the Holy Spirit will come. 
he would that the Father will send the Spirit in His name, and uh, there will be drastic changes that go on as far as the people of God in this world. So we started uh, in context discovering little bit about the Holy Spirit and Jesus is promising that he's going to come. We'll get more of that as the chapter goes on. But uh, we got to this phrase, the spirit of truth. So we went through a couple of points here and there were a lot of scriptures that I tried to bring forward. Just to note, we said perhaps this is my favorite title of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because many people put the emphasis on the spirit as emotion and you know this is totally a distraction in my view because emotion is our response to what God has done for sure and I don't think we should be emotionless but the Holy Spirit is said to be the spirit of truth so we're just I think it's it takes away from what really the Holy Spirit's objectives are and it places a human response uh, in, in the forefront of it. So I wanted to go and look at the spirit of truth. And there Jesus is saying one of the titles of the spirit. So, and then point B, we went through, uh, we should be reminded that the Holy Spirit is God. He's not just some force or some feeling, uh, goosebumps or something that comes over us. The Holy Spirit is God. Um, so I gave a stark example of how Peter talked to Ananias and told him when he tried to defraud the church, or he, he really could have given the church a portion of the proceeds from the sale of his land. Well, he lied and said, oh, here's all that I've gotten from the sale of this land, and I'm pushing it all in to the church. And uh, Peter called him on it and said, you didn't lie just to us, but you lied to God. And so, so it's a stark example of how we are not just dealing with a force or some uh, something that is just like a, a spirit, but we are dealing with God himself. God, The Holy Spirit is one of the persons of God. That's what we need to understand as we think about who is integrated within us, right? When we received Pentecost, there were five things we went over, and it wasn't last week, but prior week, that helped distinguish some of the five things that the Holy Spirit brought to us on the day of Pentecost. So the day of Pentecost is huge. And then we, we went into truth. He's the spirit of truth. What is truth now? Well, if we go back to the John 16, 13 passage, it talks about he will guide us into all truth. And I said Pentecostal truth. That's right, because uh, when it comes to Pentecost, that is the inauguration or the birthday of the church right there, Pentecost. And that is a pivotal day. It's huge in terms of God's eternal purpose, because this is where God is able now to reveal what was hidden from ages past and generations, what was hidden from Israel, what was hidden from angels, and now he's able to reveal. And he's going to use the spirit of truth in order to do it. 
So we have to see the Holy Spirit in this pivotal role uh, as he is and, and what his purposes truly are. And we get that a lot from what our Lord said, right? And the Lord said, I, I'm, I'm the one who's the Lord here, right? We are all being baptized into the body of Christ. That's one of the features, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where we're now in Christ. And our focus is the mind of Christ. It is the Holy Spirit's focus. It is the Father's focus. <laughs> it is everybody's focus to, to think about the Father's plan. And um, pastors should be thinking about the Father's plan. All the, the ambassadors for Christ should be thinking about the Father's plan. Everybody should be focused on the Father's plan. So we went through quite a few scriptures that distinguish us. We talked about other references to truth as well. We went to Ephesians. We showed, we took it all the way as far as it can go. Where will we end up if we continue to pursue the Father's plan for the church? And we saw some of the depth of Scripture here in Ephesians three sixteen through 19 and Colossians 2, 2 and 3. And uh, we, we picked up with this last point in uh, is E. And this is where we are, actually. It's the Spirit-infused believer. So when I say Spirit-infused now, I hope, hopefully you're seeing that the Holy Spirit doesn't just come upon us or... Uh, just augment or, you know, try to force us into some, some particular way. But the Spirit infuses us. So we, we are able to accomplish God's will through the synergy of our will and the Holy Spirit's will. And we know what His will is. <laughs> but if we depart from the Holy Spirit's influence, then the Spirit will be grieved. He's seeking to guide us into all truth. Now, it happens where we do depart. But I wanted to look at the Spirit-infused believer in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look at these verses. And um, I'm hoping you see, as we're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I'm hoping that you see these events for uh, around the Holy Spirit as monumental. And this is huge. This is bigger than Mount Sinai, where God gave the law. This is bigger than anything. Uh, even Jesus is saying that this is something that I've got much more to tell you about this, more than you can now bear. You don't have the capacity right now to understand all this. But when the Holy Spirit does come, this is what's going to happen. This moment I want us to be focused on, because without it, we would not recognize our destiny our calling, what we're even doing down here on the ground. We must come to the realization of what this, the Pentecostal movement is all about here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 2, is a, we studied this chapter all by itself, but we want to look at a couple key verses here. Uh, and one is in verse 14, right? Uh, actually, we could look at 15 and 16. So we're talking about the, the Spirit-infused believer. So 15 says, the person with the Spirit. And when it says the person with the Spirit, that means the person who has availed himself of the 
understanding that happened at Pentecost. And so the baptism of the, we, we said that the Spirit has done five things for us. He has been baptized into the body of Christ. We are indwelt by the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. We have gifts that come from the Spirit, and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So those five things are part of us. And we, we spoke about the duration of it. It says that these things will be with us forever. And in other words, there's no time that we can think about that the Holy Spirit will not be with us. In fact, in Romans 8, we're studying in verse 4 or 5, but we're going to get to the point where it says we are in the Spirit. So these things, not only that, we can think about ourselves. There's another scripture in 1 Corinthians 3, which is the next chapter, where it talks about we are temples. All of us are temples of the Holy Spirit. So our lives are in the Spirit, which is why when we don't cooperate with the Spirit, that synergy that we talked about last week won't happen, and uh, the Spirit will be grieved as a result of it. So there's, there's a lot to think about. So let's get back to 1 Corinthians 2.15. The person with the Spirit, in contrast to verse 14, where the person without the Spirit. The person without the Spirit is not saying he's not saved. He's the person who does not avail himself or herself of what happened at Pentecost. They reject what happened at Pentecost. So that's been the context of these verses is the church age, but not just the church age, but the early church age. And you had a large faction of people in the church that were vying to go back to the Mosaic Law. They were saying, hey, we, we can recognize that Christ is the Messiah. We get it. He's the Messiah. Okay, we understand that. However, we are not going to this New Age doctrine that you guys are talking about, where Jews and Gentiles are in one body. And no, we are still under the Mosaic Law. So that is the point. And then you had other believers, like Paul and Barnabas and Peter and others, who understood that God had made a change in direction and dispensation. And so they were vying for us to move forward from that old dispensation and its ways and the law that governed us and so forth to something new. And that fight existed. And the Jews resisted having Gentiles in their body. So this part of it, the person with the Spirit, the person without the Spirit, is in recognition of that, those thoughts. So the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Now, how can he do that? Now, uh, before we didn't, you know, we can't make judgments about all things regarding human behavior and human circumstances. Uh, so what the Spirit brings, we can have to go back to verse 9. It says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So this is, what is what I haven't seen, ear hasn't heard, haven't entered into the heart of man? What is that? That is beyond human. That's what we can say that is. And so verse 
15, it says the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Well, before, he didn't have a clue about those things, those things that had been hidden, those things that were, were, were hidden and, and were destined for our glory before time began. They were hid in God. They had no clue. But now, with the Spirit, he can make, we can make judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. So when we say merely human judgments, that puts you back before the per, you know a person who uh, does not understand uh, what happened at Pentecost. A person who rejects what happened at Pentecost can't be a beneficiary of the Spirit's tutelage and mentoring. So the person with the Spirit make judge, makes judgments about all things. And then and all things are with reference to uh, the creation. It says all things have been created. Things in heaven, things on earth, invisible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or powers. All things were created by him and for him. So we can make judgments about all things because the eternal purpose deals with all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. So we could easily say what we are talking about is outside of the realm of human understanding. That's why in verse 14, the person uh, without the Spirit who refuses to have the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God because, but considers them foolishness. He cannot understand them. Well, what's foolishness? Well, I, things that eyes can't see, things that ears can't hear, uh, things that have not uh, been considered in the heart of man. What will man say to those things? He will say foolishness. Well, the person with the Spirit is able to not only comprehend, come to the knowledge of the truth, right? The height, the depth, the width, the length of the Father's eternal purpose. He's able to grasp those things. And the love for Christ, which goes beyond knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, right? We, we've come from there last week, but I'm just trying to integrate my thinking as, as we thought about all this. And then verse 16, who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So the mind of the Lord, that imagine we're not just talking about the mind of Adam so I want to turn to we're still in Corinthians so go to 15 uh, 15 and if we look at verse 49 what does it say 1549 well why don't we read 48 first and as, as we as was the earthly man so are those who are of the earth that's we were all born in Adam, right? He was the earthly man. And as is the heavenly man, so are those who are of heaven. So there, when we say, so are those who are of heaven, so are those who are of the earth. What do we mean when we're saying that? Well, I'm asking Paul this. He answers in the next verse. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. So there's an earthly man, there's a heavenly man. And there's a difference between 
you know, the fact, even though the, the earthly man is human being of the earth, the heavenly man is also a human being, but he is also from heaven. And the emphasis is not his humanity here in these verses, but he's using this as, a, the first is the earthly man, and the other one is the heavenly man. He's not emphasizing the fact that Christ is human. He's emphasizing the fact that he's heavenly. So that's something to be considered as we're thinking about what thoughts are from the mind of Christ. But it says, but we have the mind of Christ. What's the mind of Christ? Uh, things that uh, earth have not been seen, you know, have not entered into the heart of man. We could go on, right? So I like back to 1 Corinthians 13, 2 again. I'm sorry, not 13. 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 13. 1 Corinthians 2, where we were. It says, this is, this is what we speak. This is what we speak. When we say we speak, this is what we talk about. This is the wisdom that God destined for our glory before time began. This is what we speak. Speak is, when we say we, Paul is talking about us apostles, us teachers, us, those of us who are, who are understanding of what the Spirit has brought to us. This is what we speak. And then, listen to here, the next phrase, not in words taught us by human wisdom. Why? Because these words are outside of the realm of human wisdom. Remember, eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. But words taught us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Now, how can you make analogies to things that have not entered into the heart of man, never before seen? How, how, here it is, right here. Using The Spirit has to be a part of it, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. So, hopefully you understand what is in a spirit-infused believer. What is that mean? What does that mean? It means how we talked about Jesus telling us the spirit of truth. What is truth? Truth is, is this augmented truth, not just truth from the Old Testament, but truth that was not revealed. We've been calling it a mystery. We only play, it's only, it's not a mystery anymore. It's a play on words now because it's been revealed. It's not a mystery. But we still call it a mystery because we want to emphasize the fact that it was hidden. It was not revealed. And now it is. Right? So hopefully if you do use the mystery, you don't leave the person with a question mark. So, so Jesus says the spirit of truth. I'm back to our notes here. Point number two. What else about this spirit? The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. So we're going to look at a couple thoughts here. Why can't the world accept the spirit of truth? Now, we would hope they can accept him because, you know, this is information that um, is relevant. And God, if God is revealing the depths of his heart, if he's re revealing his eternal purpose, I would think it's certainly re relevant information. Why can't the world accept him, this information? Or the Spirit it says because it neither sees him nor knows him. Point A. 
why can the world not accept or receive the Spirit? And we got two verses, and 9 and 14, and we're in 1 Corinthians 2. 9, because no eye has seen, no ear has heard. We already covered that. That's why the world can't accept them. And 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, because considers them foolishness. Why? Because they don't fit in the realm of his understanding. So it's clear. That's why the world does not receive the things that are relative to the Spirit. Point B, what does the world receive? Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. These are classic verses here, 15 through 17. 1 John 2, 15 says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. This is interesting. The love of the Father is not in them. We talked about this love in uh, Ephesians 3, right? This love for Christ, that we may know that, we may grasp the, de the depth, the width, and all that. And then we may know this love for Christ that goes beyond knowledge, right? And this, so if this wisdom is separate from what's going on in the world. The world rejects the Holy Spirit. They reject what the Holy Spirit teaches. They say it's foolishness. But, and believers do that as well. This is anyone who does not accept what happened at Pentecost, whether they are believer or unbeliever. They can't see the results of it. So, the love of the Father is not in them. And then he, he describes what is in the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. Whoever does the will of God lives forever, is eternal. So, so this, this part here, where it describes what is in the world, none of those things are what the Spirit reveals. Remember, none of these things can be seen, but God, the Holy Spirit has revealed these things, right? These things have been no made known to us by means of the Spirit. Point C, Satan is the author of this cosmos, which is not our home. The cosmos is the, is the Greek word for this world. So it is not where we belong. This, Even though we're here, we were born here, we're, it's not who we are anymore. It's not our home. And and when we see Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, I'll just read it. Ephesians chapter 2. As for you, this is verse 1. I know I'm going too fast for people who are turning Bible pages. I know that. So I'll pause just for a moment. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, just to note, even though everybody was dead in their transgressions and sins, he's talking about believers who are in this particular age. So he starts out, as for you, you were dead in your trans. Well, the rest of them were too, but he's focusing in on us. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So you could say that Satan's spirit was, was influencing or infusing 
the world of unbelievers. Right? Followed the ways of this world, the ruler of the kingdom. His plan is in effect in this world. What's in the world? The pride of life, all those things we just read about in 1 John, which cater to man, rebellion, and in man's selfishness and greed. Verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time. Notice us, them. We were in the same boat, but notice God called us. He sent us into the world, right? And he called, you know, we were called from eternity past to be in Christ, holy and blameless. Right? So this is, all of us lived among them at one time. This is the beginning of where we all were born in Adam. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath or objects of wrath. And if I can continue, but because of his great love for us, God's plan, right? God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So I know I didn't intend to quote all that, but it's important for, for us to integrate that first part with us, who we are in Christ. And uh, point B, back to our notes, 2B. Or actually, we're, we're at C now. We did C as well? Yeah, yeah, we did. Point D, we're moving forward. With such divergent thought on truth or reality, there is no redemption for this world. Now, when we think about it, <clears throat> the world has such a reality that it basically collides with our reality. I'm turning to Peter just so we can read this. 2 Peter, here it is, 3, 9 through 13. <clears throat> so 2 Peter says, Lord, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief the heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to, be, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire. That's the universe. And the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking for a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So this is different from what we see in Genesis, right? If you read Genesis 1.1, it says, uh, In the beginning, God created the heavens and earth and the heavens and it says but the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep 
Now look, in keeping verse here in verse 13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth. So not only is earth going to be destroyed, but everything will be cleansed by fire where righteousness dwells. Well, when we start off in Genesis, we don't have a place where heaven and earth and righteousness dwells. We don't have that. But God's... So whatever happened already happened. And when the earth was restored in Genesis, Satan was already Satan when he was allowed to tempt Adam and the woman in the Garden of Eden. So this is... Uh, this part of the plan of God. This all is a part of the plan of God. Listen, remember, God's not slow about this. The world doesn't understand it. Uh, there were scoffers in those days saying, hey, there's no coming of the Lord. This all is a hoax. All this stuff that will, where Jesus will come and, and all that. Yeah, it's going to happen. It's coming. We can be sure that these things will happen. Point E, let's keep going. Our mission here is to sal is a salvage operation for souls. Now, you know, this is 1 Timothy. What are we doing in this place? Right? 1 Timothy 2, 4. It says, um, 3 and 4. This is good and it pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved. So this is God's objective. Listen, it's our objective too. We want people to be saved. Before anything can happen for anybody, they need to have salvation. We, we can't put the, the cart before the horse. First you become saved. Then all of these things happen. Right? You don't get baptized and all that stuff by the in the Spirit. All those things happen as a result of salvation, not and it may be simultaneous with salvation, but salvation is first, right? You don't submit to believing that the, oh, the Holy Spirit, this or that. You submit to believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that we trust in him for our soul salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and we will be saved, right? This is what it means. God wants all people to be saved. But also, it says, to come to a knowledge of the truth. And the word there for knowledge is not just gnosis, but it is epinosis, which means deep knowledge, complete, full knowledge. And that's what we are after, right? Jesus says, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. And this is, the, this is our objective. It's not just God's objective. It's us. It's like what Paul said in Ephesians 3, to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, uh, which was kept hidden for ages past and generations. So, so it's important that we see it that way. And this is our goal. This is what we're doing down here, right? We, we need to be about our Father's business, just like Jesus was. And then the 2 Corinthians 5 and this is an, an interesting one. Most people don't see this one for what it really is. So it says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. This is our, this is our objective here in the world. We want to bring people to the knowledge of the truth. 
right? And and this is when it says we are Christ's ambassadors, we can't forget that this comes from uh, verse uh, uh, 17, which says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. So when did the new creation come? When did all this start? This started with Pentecost. Because at Pentecost is where God began to baptize believers into the body of Christ. So that's 1 Corinthians 12, 13, by one spirit. That's the Holy Spirit, where we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We were all made to drink the one spirit. That's 1 Corinthians 12, 13. But that goes along with what we're reading here, right? 5, 17, if anybody is in Christ, this is it, man. This is a new, the new creation has come. So we're no longer in Adam. That's the old creation. The old creation is who fell. But we are in Christ. We're in the new creation. So when we're talking about the new creation, talking about the designation of us being in Christ, that is what we are ambassadors for. So when we bring people to the Lord, when we talk about the gospel and we help people to understand that Christ is the Savior of the world and we ought to believe in him and at the same time, we are also ambassadors for Christ, right? For the new creation. Let's just, when it says we are therefore, it hails back to verse 17 where it says, if anybody's in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So we need to be cognizant of what's going on and the times in which we live when we talk to people. So the gospel is the gospel. It's the same in every age. But what happens after that is drastically different in this age. Make sure we get that. Okay, moving forward. Point F in our outline says the Holy Spirit cannot be seen or known through the five human senses, only through the sixth sense, which I'm calling faith. I'm playing around with this. I don't know... You know, we talk about the sixth sense. I know people talk about that. But I'm saying we have another sense that's about us, that we've been talking about here. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has entered into the heart of man. Well, what has man seen? He has seen or understood what he can glean from those senses that he has. You know, touch, right? Uh, sight, taste, smell hearing, those five senses through those five gates in the combination of some and, you know, using our mind to, you know, our mentality and, uh, and all of that, we can put together what we can and cannot understand in this world, what a man can comprehend. Well, these things don't depend on those senses and we need faith in order for us to understand these things. And just like it says in Hebrews 11, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, we will not be able to understand that the world was created by God. Right? It, it's not created by evolution. Only by faith can we comprehend that. Do we understand that? So in this sense, we have something totally different. Not just talking about 
The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. We're not just talking about creation and how the splendor of it all was. We're talking about what God hid from all creation, including angels, and how he now reveals it at this particular time. What's that time? Pentecost. So make sure we see this as very pivotal. Right, so so our back to our notes. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. Let's look at some points on that. This last one, I think we may be able to finish this. The first one is disciples knew him, right? Jesus says, but you knew you know him. I'm going back to John 14 because there are a couple other places where Jesus just said, look, from now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Right? He's talking about the Father. Remember, Philip asked the question. He says, well, if you really knew me, this is verse 7, 14 and 7. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. Then he just jumps to say this. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. So, so Jesus must have told this to them before. And it just went in one ear and out the other. So finally, he's like, look, for the record, now on, from now on, don't ask me this again. Because <laughs> from this is the record. You have seen him and you do know him. <laughs> so if you're standing there and you don't, well, you got problems. Because Jesus covered this point of doctrine many times. But that's okay. We have it today and we're reading about it so that we can get to understand these things. He dealt with the disciples directly. So the disciples knew him? Yeah, yeah, they knew him. And it's like, also, did you know the way? Yeah, well, you do know the way. They said, well, we don't really know the way. Jesus said, you know the way. So, and here, yes, they knew the Holy Spirit. Although the ministry of the Spirit to the Old Testament believers was vastly different from what will be. So we must understand the work of the Spirit since he is now with us forever. So here's the thought in this first point is, is that, yeah, the disciples knew him, but they really didn't know him in this new way. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth to them, not in the same way to us, but he helped them understand what truth was, right? They couldn't have come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit was helping them, in enlightening them to the truth of who Christ was. So all the signs, the wonders, the miracles, all those things, part of it was with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we're getting to this point. The next point is in Matthew where we're going to read about it. Um, but just to know the Holy Spirit is, uh, he enables us to understand who God is. Without it, we don't have one clue about who God is. And I just want to make sure you understand that. Even though if you'd like to, if you'd like to add Romans 3 in here, Romans 3, to illustrate this, Romans 3, 9. So Paul makes the, the comment here, what shall we conclude then? Do we have an advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all 
under the power of sin. So understand what we do understand and what we don't. First, we're going to see what our righteousness is. right? So, and then we'll see more. Verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. So that settles it for the Jew, right? The law can't make them righteous. Imagine that. All the people in the Old Testament, no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is, so, so this understands, <coughs> excuse me, no one who understands is to say that they are limited in their understanding. We're talking about unsaved people. What, what, what is common about unsaved people? They are all none righteous. No one understands. And there is no one who seeks God. Now, all of this is true. And people play around with these verses quite a lot. They'll say, wait a minute. Right? I seek, I've been, when, when I was coming to Christ, I was seeking God. I was running after the scriptures, man. If somebody said anything about prayer or God, or if it was mentioned in a song, it just sparked my attention. I was after God. And then I came to know God. You know what? You need to realize that it wasn't you necessarily. It was you in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Because you, by yourself, this is you, right? It says no one understands. No one seeks God. So obviously God intervened for you too come to the place where you were seeking God. You were coming to the knowledge of who Christ was and you did put your faith in him. So <clears throat> only help, the one who helped you understand is God, the Holy Spirit. He enlightened you. Now, did you know that the Holy Spirit was working with you? Did you realize and say, whoa, wait a minute, this is the Holy Spirit and he's helping me go to... No, you didn't have any clue about this. But I just wanted to point this out because the integration, the infusing of the Holy Spirit with our spirits, with who we are, even before we become a believer, was so tight that we didn't even consciously see the Holy Spirit at work in us. We just, and a lot of people think, well, I came to Christ, I did it, I came, I got interested, it was all me. Not true. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who was helping, enlightening you to the way. We call that, in theology, common grace. And the Holy Spirit does this for every soul. He makes it a point where he comes and he witnesses to their soul. And he witnesses Christ. And he points them and, and tries to enlighten them to the truth about who God is and God's, you know, the gospel. He's been doing that since the beginning of time when man fell. So he's been doing, and look at this, man apart from the spirit is this. No one understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away, verse 12. This is Romans 3, 12. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And then the, the next verses I'll omit but you could read them because it continues to describe what you're like to God in an unsaved state. And they don't even care about God. Verse 18, I'll skip down to that. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That means they don't respect God. They don't care about God. They don't care what he has to say. The only 
the ministry of the Spirit and common grace can help people understand where the plight that we were were born into because of what Adam did. So all of that, I say to, to make the point that the Holy Spirit integrated with who we are as unbelievers helps us come to the point where we understand the gospel and we can believe in Christ. But the Holy Spirit in this age is different from common grace. It allows us to come to the knowledge of the truth. He is leading in God. He has a very new ministry here. And he's still doing the common grace thing. So if you read Romans 16, no, Romans, John 16, the first 8 through 11 or 12 is where he talks about the Holy Spirit's ministry to the world when he comes, right? Because now that Christ has died and, uh, you know, been buried and resurrected, ascended and resurrected, you know, all that, and glorified, there's a new ministry. You need to know it's not just the Christ to come, it's that person who died for your sins. Right? That's the one. He's the he, So you will see verses there detailing what the Holy Spirit does to the unbeliever. But then he turns to the believer and says, Ah, but let me tell you, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, right? you know the verses. I quoted them so many times. You know them by heart. But notice that the Spirit's integration with us is seamless. You don't even know that the Holy Spirit is in your heart working, vying for in influence and enlightening you to, to choices now that you have to make. Even unbelievers, well, we saw that uh, in Romans 1. I'm going to just turn to Romans 1. I know we're off this beaten path here. But Romans 1, where it says... The wrath, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who, do not, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because here it is, here it is, because God has made it plain to them. And he goes on, and he talks about ways that the unbelievers can come to understand who God is and what God's plan is. And then that gives them options. Right? This, this is important for us to understand that the Holy Spirit is so integrated with us that we don't, know, we don't always realize it. So we need to be humbled by reading Romans 3 to understand what we were, where we came from. We were dead in our transgressions and sins. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. So that when we understand where we are now, we realize why God has been leading and guiding us. We have been saying yes to God, making the right choices. Biggest choice we made was to believe in Christ, to put our trust in him, to see our helpless condition, and to say, like with Paul, what a wretched man I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? we come to that place where we see who we truly are, then God the Holy Spirit doesn't let up then. Now he once in this age now he takes us to more of what is in the Father's heart. He continues to influence us according to truth. So he's going to be with us forever. This is not something where we get we get the Holy Spirit 
as the helper here, the advocate, and he departs from us once we get to heaven, once we die. The Holy Spirit continues to be a part of who we are, continues to give us divine understanding and divine thoughts, things that eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, and have entered into the heart of man. Those are the things we traffic in now. So Philippians 2.13, let's see what that says. That's part of the Spirit's integration, right? So here it is, Philippians 2 and verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. That's the influence of the Spirit right there in that one short verse. It's God who is at work in you to will. Right? To will is to want. Right? He gets in and he helps us come to what is the proper will. And then he, to act, right? So because everything we do, we have to purpose to do it, right? There's a motivation. So he doesn't just say, well, I'm going to help them, you know, show them what the right decision is. But he gets into the detail of our motivation. And he seeks to influence our will so that we act in order to fulfill his good purpose. His good purpose now is this age where he is calling many sons into glory. This is what's going on. But it is God who is at work in us. We should recognize that. It's not some force or the feeling that we feel like we should do the right thing or or just morality in general. It is this plan that we're under for the church. Like Paul was saying, he's got to make everybody known. He was, his purpose is to bring everyone, to make sure that everyone is mature in Christ. That is the goal. So, so that's point A, thinking about the integration Right, but Jesus said, "But you know him, right?" Now they knew him, but they really didn't know that it was him. For he lives with you. He lived with them. He helped them understand who Christ was. He helped them follow Christ as disciples. He helped them come to understand what truth was in the Old Testament. It says, "And he will be in you." The "will be in you" part is the part we have to see. Point B. He lives with you. The Spirit was right there enabling their understanding of spiritual realities. He was already right there. As, he, as they were sitting there listening to Christ talk about spiritual realities to come, they needed the Spirit to help interpret what Christ was saying. So they need, he lived, he, he was already a part of their understanding, right? And working through the Lord to teach them, as well as uh, working of miracles, right? So this is all the Spirit's work. Now look at Matthew. We have to turn to Matthew. I know you know Matthew already, but Matthew 12 and verses 28 through 32. You know the story. Um, it is about the unpardonable sin. So I want to pick up in the middle. Uh, we'll go to 27 because they 
they declared that Jesus was casting out demons by the spirit of, or the by Beelzebub, which is the prince of demons, by whom, or prince of dung, as it were, by whom do your people drive them out? So they will be your judges. Verse 28. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons. Now, when Jesus says, if it is, he's saying, since it is. He, doesn't, he wasn't driving out demons by Beelzebub. Oh, it's like the Lord of the Flies. He wasn't, that wasn't what he was doing. He was driving out demons by the Spirit of God. Then he says, then the kingdom of God has come unto you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. He's talking about the logic of the Pharisees' assertion. Right? So, so verse 30, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Verse 31, and so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven. But blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So the Holy Spirit is key. If you resist the Spirit's influence in bringing you to the point of salvation, there is no way you can get to salvation. We just read there's none righteous, not even one, none who understands, none who seeks God. None of that will happen for you if you're in the state without the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And if you're calling the ministry of the Holy Spirit evil, and you can know that that is you will never come to Christ, because the only way you're going to come to Christ is if the Holy Spirit brings you there to the feet of the cross. It's the only way you're going to get there. If you reject that. So what, what were they saying about? Watch this. Verse 22. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. And Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. So this, is, this was happening all day long. But I just want you to see what happens here. Verse 23. All the people were astonished. They, I mean, listen to what conclusion they, they drew and said, could this be the son of David? So what do they mean by son of David? Son of David is the Messiah. They're, they're basically saying, is this the Christ? I mean, if they, this is the natural progression. They did, Christ did all these miracles. He demonstrated that he was the Christ, the Son of God. He demonstrated that. And sure enough, the miracles were a part of it. And how were the miracles done? By means of the Holy Spirit. And these people came to the proper conclusion. Hey, could this be? This is a question. Could this be the Son of David? So what does that give them? Options that we talked about earlier. Verse 24. But... When the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, 
And that's when we get into the narrative that we covered. So <laughs> the Spirit is important, I must say. When it says he lives with you and he will be, yeah, he's with us. He's been with us even when we didn't know he's with, he was with us. You know what we did? We patted ourselves on the back and we said, boy, we're smart. Aren't we smarter than a lot of other people? We've come to this knowledge. I don't know why they can't see it. I don't understand why they can't see it. It's because, it's not because the Holy Spirit hasn't tried to make it known to them, but it is all in our rejection, our humility toward the Spirit. That he lives with you, he will be in you. So there's Hebrews 2, 3, and 4, where it talks about the Holy Spirit through signs and wonders and miracles, and they attest to the truth. And I'm not going to turn to that one. Then there's 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. We'll turn to that one. So what was I thinking? First Corinthians 12, 7 through 11. So we're talking about the Spirit. So it says, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another... A message of knowledge by means of the same spirit to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the same by the one spirit to another miraculous powers to another prophecy to another distinguishing between spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues and still another the interpretation of tongues all these are the work of of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one, just as he determines. So who's in charge here? If you didn't get it through all that, through this one Spirit, through the one Spirit, through the same Spirit, this one, then you missed it, because the Holy Spirit is in charge. We, will, we know who he is. We will see how he works. He's the one running the show. I say this now more importantly today because many people don't realize that the Holy Spirit is behind this. He's running the show. We kind of forget that the Holy Spirit is there. Why, could, why do we forget? Because he shall not speak on his own. He shall speak what he hears. He will take from what is mine. He will make it known. He will not glorify himself. He will glorify me. So we can kind of get the idea that the Spirit isn't there. It's just us. But really, this ministry of the Spirit is essential to what we do and what we know. Right? Point C in our notes, and will be in you. Right? And then, so you know this in you part, and I'm quoting from one of the scriptures, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So, he will be in you. The Holy Spirit will be in you. And this happens. The doctrine is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, which makes our bodies temples. Temples are a place where we come to meet God. In Old Testament and, and old times, if someone erected a temple, then that meant God is there. 
and people come to worship God and to receive wisdom and instruction from God at the temple as part of it. So it's important that, to note that the temple is us now. We are God's temple, and he will be. This is Jesus' words. You know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. He wasn't in them at the time. The, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to Old Testament believers, or anybody before this time, was vastly different than the ministry of the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. So the Holy Spirit was not in anybody. He would come upon people. He would empower people for certain things. But now the Holy Spirit is in us. So point D. However, the phrase will be in you speaks of all the results of Pentecost. It doesn't only speak of uh, the indwelling. He's really talking about the whole thing that's happening at Pentecost when Jesus is mentioning the Holy Spirit in general here. And the last point <clears throat> from the previous verse, we could add, right? He will be in you. This is what Jesus says in three, uh, point three, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. And I'm adding, he will be in you forever. How can I put that word there? From the previous verse, the previous verse says that the Holy Spirit would be there, right? And he will ask the Father, he will give you an, another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. So this is permanent. Nothing can take you out of this. I mean, this is part of who we are. If we have the Holy Spirit forever, this wisdom, this integration, this closeness of who and how he works with us will be with us forever into the eternal state as when we assume our role in the eternal state the holy spirit will still be there and who's the holy spirit god so we, this is something that will certainly this this has never been seen or heard of prior to what happened here and we're talking about what the Holy Spirit makes of us. So we're going to have to quit. I know we're beyond our time. We'll continue next week with uh, the next verse. And verse 18, we're moving forward, where he says, I will, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Right? We'll get to that next week. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father. We are pleased with the provision that we have in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. We pray that as we continue to function in this age, to, that we will work in concert with the Spirit. Not only when we are witnessing to people who do not know Christ, but in our spiritual growth, where we come to know uh, truth in all of its depth. We thank you so much for the privilege of selecting us in this age. We plan to walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. We thank you for those who have joined, and we pray for the families of those affected by the virus that is uh, common at, at this hour for all the countries of the world. The, and we're asking for your mercy, and we're asking that your will be done in this matter. That's in Christ's name. 
that we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.